Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Always Be Watching, the most refined podcast dedicated to the TV watching habits of myself, Dan Barrett, and my co-host, Chris Yates. There are many podcasts that are dedicated to our viewing interests. However, this is the most refined one, and frankly, the only one I dare suggest we're listening to. The rest of them pay limitators, and we don't see any of the scratch that they're making from their hundreds of thousands of listeners. Anyway, keep, Outrageous. It, keep it old school, keep it OG. Chris... We're going to talk about a couple of shows. Uh, Chris, I say this as though the, you're the person listening. And based on our, view, our listening stats, that's probably true. Because <laughs> all those other podcasts are skimming off the top. Chris Yates, as you're well aware, we're going to talk about a number of TV shows. Older shows, we're not really diving into the brand new, like, hot stuff that people come to listen to this podcast for. We are going deep into the catalogue of the NBC uh, TV show Superstore, which is six seasons in. But Chris just discovered it. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, I want to talk about a show which I saw many years ago, but I've rediscovered, I've rekindled a love for HBO's How to Make It in America. And yes, I might be the only person who could legitimately say that I have a love for that show. We're going to do that. We're going to talk about the new streaming service Binge. It's in Australia. It's got TV shows you might want to watch, including Superstore and How to Make It in America. Do you see where the what connections are, people? <laughs> what are the odds? Anyway, we're going to do that. We're going to do a TV quiz. Folks, this is Always Be Watching. We're going to play a theme song, and on the other side of it, all that magic awaits. Chris, that was our taxi-inspired theme song. How the heck are you doing? Very good, Dan. How are you? Not too bad. I don't know if it's really taxi-inspired, but it's definitely got the same sort of maudlin tone of a taxi. Yeah, similar, like, little instruments. Bob James, of course, did the original taxi theme. He's a fantastic soft jazz uh, legend who, yeah. I, whom I love. Yeah, the song's called Angela, theme from Taxi. Oh, yeah, so it is. Hmm. Are we going to talk about Taxi today? Uh, yeah, for the next hour, we're going to do nothing but talk about a sitcom <laughs> that people haven't really watched for the last 20 years, if not longer. <laughs> If not longer, yeah. Yeah. Like, outside uh, of you and I, do you think that there's a single person that either of us know that have seen the TV show Taxi? Uh, no, I don't think so. Maybe my friend Matt. He might have watched a few. <laughs> He's a big Cheers fan. But that's probably it. Yeah. One guy. It is slim pickings at this point. Anyway, Chris Yates, how the heck are you doing? Are you ready to pod? I'm very ready to pod. I've been watching heaps and heaps of old legacy television shows this week because uh, that's what's, it's, it's been that kind of week. Yeah, no, I've definitely felt that. So I have watched a few new things. So I saw the new show, Snowpiercer, which I think I'm going to talk about next week because I only saw the first episode. And I have to say, I'm pretty middling on it, but I'm kind of curious okay. to see like episodes two and three before I go too much further into talking about it. Fair enough. Yeah. I watched a whole bunch of... Uh, I watched the last season of Silicon Valley, which I somehow just missed and didn't realise that it would had happened. Um, Did you enjoy I, it? I, I don't know. I did enjoy it. I thought like it was a little bit. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was. There were still heaps of good laughs and stuff. It was a little redundant. I don't know whether we really needed it, but I still thought um, that it was nice to kind of get that story arc. It felt like it had a nice finish. Uh, yeah, I did like it. So it's been a few months since I've seen the last season. Was the last season? Did it involve the trip to um, uh, Burning Man? Yes. So it was around the, the the it it, it built up to the. Um, uh, Rust Fest in the desert, which was the version of, of Burning Man where the um, AI right. became super intelligent and uh, rewired the um, the Pied Piper technology, uh, perhaps too well. And um, But no, like I really did like the character arcs for the end and I liked how it all ended up. Um, I don't want to give a spoiler alert on a show that stopped airing nine months ago and people still definitely... <laughs> Uh, haven't watched but uh, no no I really I, I thought it was a satisfying end to and, and I wasn't really sure how they were going to do it there was a, a, a couple of little nice gags in there right at the end that I thought worked really well there was a heap of like really thigh slapping laugh out loud moments throughout the season which was good I watched it really quick like two nights kind of just five or three or four episodes a night it was only short I think seven but yeah loved it yeah, it's pretty easy. I mean, that's the great thing about that sort of half-hour HBO comedies, which is that they're very easy to binge and just splits your way through. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I would say that maybe the final season, as you said, pretty redundant, and I kind of wish they just wrapped it up with a two-hour movie rather than a full season. 
And I appreciate that, like, all of six to nine episodes or whatever a Silicon Valley season is, isn't that much longer than a two-hour movie. Yeah. Even so, I kind of just wish that it was, like, more of a self-contained story rather than a serialized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can understand that. Um, but, I, but like I say, yeah, it was still, I, I still found it very, I mean, very easy to watch. But it had a few really decent laughs in it. So that's all you can ask for in today's day and age, really. No, exactly. Anyway, Chris, shall we get on with business? What we're going to do is we'll talk about the two TV shows first, then we'll do some yep. binge streaming service wrap-up, and then we'll do some quiz. Mm-hmm. So first of all, cool. uh, do you want to kick us off? Do you want to talk about the show Superstore? Oh, wait, no, no, no. Let me help you with that. Oh, no, 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 I'm fine. I That's it's okay. fine. I work here. It's like my, it's my job to help customers, so. You work here? Since when? Uh, since right now. I'm, I'm, it's actually my, my first day. Oh. I know. <laughs> I don't seem like the kind of person who would work in a place like this. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I was so surprised. I was like, what? What? Him? What's he doing cleaning up toilet paper? I think it's because you just, you have this very intelligent, educated, more cultured quality. I mean, compared to... Yeah. Oh, hey. (laughs) Look, I get that you're complimenting me, but it might sound a little condescending, so, you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, thanks. No, I I wouldn't want to sound condescending in front of somebody who works here. Right. (laughs) Uh, Hey, can I run out for two minutes? This thing is... Kicking my bladder like it owes him money. Oh, you know what? I'm actually not in yes, charge. Yes, of could... course. I'll take Carly off Express and Vivian can bag, so take as long as you need. <sighs> Thanks. Little tip. Don't let the other workers here know how much better than them you are. They hate that. I don't know why. Maybe because it sounds condescending. So, Chris, I'm sure I told you several months ago, check out this program. And you finally have. What do you think? I think it's great. Actually, I I would go so far as to say, I think a few years ago, you told me to check out this program, but I know you did again recently. Uh, Yeah, look, you know, you know me, you know what I like. This thing's pitched right up my alley. It's a very fun, low stakes comedy about a workplace. I remember seeing, I think it was, um, I didn't really think of workplace comedies as a thing until I saw it as a Netflix category. But yes, it's definitely a thing. And this is definitely a workplace comedy. Uh, The set in a big store which is like a walmart or whatever they are in america um called it's called cloud nine yeah that's right and it's the uh yeah it's the story of the people that work there the first episode kicks off with the new employee um jonah joining the team and uh, jonah is played by ben feldman who is you would know you would know dan as um Ginsburg from um uh, Mad Men. Uh, I'd also know him as the romantic lead from the short-lived NBC sitcom A to Z, which was going to follow a relationship from the beginning to the end. And while it may have been A to Z, I think it maybe got as far as C before they cancelled the thing. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, and he was also in the aforementioned Silicon Valley in the last season as the lawyer. He might have. He probably showed up earlier as well, but I can't really remember that far yeah, back. Yeah, he was. One of those. One of those people that I thought I uh, assumed was the same person and then thought, oh, no, I'm just doing that thing where I think everybody who looks mildly similar is the same actor. But it actually was him across all three, so that's great. I thought he was awesome in Mad Men. All young, young, gently Semitic-looking men all look exactly the same. Exactly. But he was fantastic in Mad Men. I really think he was a different kind of character to uh, a lot of the other ones. Everyone was fantastic in Mad Men, of course. Uh, and he's equally, I think he's just he's just great in this show as well. He really comes in as the sort of fish out of water who at first appears to be, uh, you know, exactly as that clip played, you know, where he sort of feels like, oh, God, I work here and um, is, is embarrassed about having to work in one of these big box stores, but then becomes very, um, you know, obviously straight away there's a bit of a connection with his co-worker there. Uh, his supervisor, in fact, who we heard in the clip, who's uh, played by uh, America Ferrara. Yeah, who's uh, fantastic. Ugly Betty as well. herself. Yeah, so he got some great leads straight up the bat. Uh, it went for five seasons. But it's still it's going. Not, it's still going. That's fantastic. Yeah. So the other, of course, notable uh, notable character actor from my world, at least, is Mark McKinney from Kids in the Hall, who plays kind of a Christian store manager type uh who is seems to be very square but of course likes to cut loose a little bit as well when they when they're jerking around and having a bit of fun which is great i love mark mckinney dan i don't know how you feel about the kids in the hall i uh, look like kids in the hall really like mark mckinney so i'm totally down for that the thing i got so i rewatched the first episode earlier today when i was digging out the sound clip to play on the podcast and the thing that i hadn't really like sort of considered that much is how much like the first episode of cheers that it feels 
mostly because in the same way that the Diane Chambers character in Cheers enters the workplace and she's kind of a little bit too good for the bar and it's, you know, not quite the sort of uh, future she sort of had in mind for herself. You have a very similar thing with the Ben Feldman character who he's, was he, he was in finance and then was he still in university? I, think, I can't remember how yeah. it works out. I don't think it really got too far. It, I'm only a few episodes in. It hasn't got dug deep, too deep into his backstory, so maybe that comes a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're spot on. I, I hadn't made that connection ridiculously, considering how many times I've watched the first episode of Cheers. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's very yeah, very good observation there. And and you can tell that they're going to um, tease out the relationship a little bit there. Yeah, there's very much a will they won't they relationship at the heart of the show. So this show is <sighs> very much sort of Cheers meets The Office in a lot of ways. And what how I how could you? Sorry. How could you do better than Cheers meets The Office? I don't, I don't know, really. Well, You've got the perfect show there. What I really like about the show, and it really takes a lot from both Cheers and The Office in this regard, is that they really sort of lean into the fact that they know that they're playing with characters who work ostensibly at like a big box sort of Walmart kind of a store. So these are people who don't have very much money at all. They're generally not particularly well-educated. And they really do sort of play around with just acknowledging the difficulties that these characters have in their day-to-day lives in terms of just being able to do things like make rents and be able to pay for like their kids' schooling and this kind of thing. And so this regularly comes up as issues throughout the course of the series. And there's one character in it who I don't want to spoil things for the Chris's of the world who haven't really delved far into the show yet. (laughs) But because the show actually starts to lean into the topicality and currency of the um, you know, current sort of environment in the US. There's an sure. ice-related storyline and there's definitely sort of interesting things that they do in regards to that. I don't want to say too much to give away some of the yeah, joys yeah, cool. there. But yeah, they, I think, just play around with the economics of the characters and they never shy away from that. And too often I look at American sitcoms and so much of it is very much sort of East or West Coast based. It's characters that have a fair bit of money to their names and there's a lot of wish fulfillment that takes place within the shows. But I think back to some of the sort of great sitcoms from the 70s, which like really just address the fact their characters were, you know, destitute, didn't really have a lot of money. And those were the shows that really connected with what was happening in 1970s America at the time. And like when I was watching it through like the 80s as like a young kid who didn't really understand exactly what he was watching, uh, like, you know, I I felt there was something sort of darker and sort of sinister taking place within these sitcoms because it wasn't really like the sort of light, airy TV that I was used to seeing elsewhere. And that stuff really resonated with me. And I kind of feel that that stuff does resonate. Like there's something sort of primal about it, that life isn't necessarily as cheerful as TV tends to make out. And we need more shows like the superstores of the world. Or maybe more specifically from my, you know, eight-year-old TV viewing experience, the mods, the good times, you know, the even yeah, like different strokes look, and stuff dealt with that kind of uh, economic realities. Definitely so. And it adds another aspect, you know, that you just don't get. Like you look at, I remember seeing stuff about Friends where, you know, they added up all the uh, stuff in you know, Monica's apartment and it was like $400,000 worth of furniture or something like that. And, you know, there's, there's all this kind of like aspirational stuff in a lot of those um, really big popular American sitcoms, especially since the 90s, I would say. And I don't and, think there's um, anything wrong with that, but you also just need to mix it up with other shows as well. Like the only one from like the 90s onwards that I think did it well is maybe Roseanne. And there were th- shows that emulated a little bit like, say, Grace Under Fire and that kind of thing. But Roseanne's probably the exemplar of it. Of course, and I think it was a bit unusual when Roseanne did it, and I think you know she used it for many years as a bit of a political platform as well to uh, really critique the state of the American uh, economy and the state of the American uh, you know way reality, especially for people in the Midwest and stuff, which you just never you know saw on television. I wouldn't have even seen it, and you know as a kid growing up watching Roseanne. Um, as a you know in a very in a low socioeconomic household it very much resonated with me in ways that a lot of the other other shows didn't you know and I mean it's part of the kind of the tragedy of the Roseanne arc that um, you know her drug use or whatever these days has led her to uh, her prescription drug use I would say has led to these uh, you know her making herself an outcast in Hollywood because she really was a great voice for the uh for the for the common folk for a very long time and I mean that translated through to her you know defending Trump to some degree in the new series and uh I don't even think defending Trump's the right word but trying to show uh you know I I guess her peers 
that there was, you know, where everyone's still going like, why does anyone actually support, you know, how could anyone support Trump and, and moving away from that narrative to like trying to actually show people why they did. And I think um, it was a shame that that, that whole, uh, you know, that, it's, a, it's a terrible shame the way that whole saga finished because I really think Roseanne was a great voice in this kind of space. But uh, it's great to have a show like Superstore and if I knew, uh, if I, you know, got to listen to your tips a little bit longer, I could have been enjoying the show for the last few years, but at least now I can just watch a whole bunch of them in a row and get my fix that way. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I really like about this program is that Ensemble comedy, they've got all the standard sort of sitcom hijinks taking place within the set. But there's two things that the show does really well that I hadn't really quite expected. One, when it's doing these, uh, when you've got a scene, it does like a cutaway shot sort of midway through the scene. You actually see what shoppers and uh, like other staff are doing just while, you know, storylines are taking place. And it's got all these background like little moments where there's like just sight jokes happening, like sight gags repeatedly through the show and they're all laugh out loud funny gags because they're really just like subtle small little moments where if you're staring at your phone not really quite watching the screen you're not going to be able to enjoy this because they're usually just sort of playing in the background you don't quite catch it but they do these cutaway gags which are probably some of the best jokes that you find on tv and just like through the first five years like they're just repeatedly amazingly good uh the other thing as well is have you listened to the soundtrack taking place in the background of the store no not really i haven't paid any i haven't noticed it yet really at all pay attention to the music because it's all like expensive sounding music like it's not just like cheap music that they've put in the background rather they're the same just like terrible like pop like popular songs that you hear when you go shopping around at, like kmart or one of these sorts of things yeah, like they yeah. just play in the background and it's like i don't know how much money they're spending on their music for the first couple of seasons <laughs> of the show because it is very impressive they're not great like songs by any means but you'll just be amazed to hear them in there you're kind of your middle of the road kind of big pop hits and stuff from the 80s that always get those replays yeah absolutely um yeah and there was something else i was going to say which was very refreshing you know because i did read it compared to the office and other things but it was also very nice to just see it as an unashamed single camera sitcom that wasn't trying to docudrama and wasn't trying to you know take on any of those other gimmicks which um are, are ever present now and will be forever since the success of parks and recreation in the office it was really nice to not have to you know, you know, just to see something, just just the straight up old style format was is refreshing. Yeah, there's no fake mockumentary thing where you feel that the characters know they're being filmed. No, it's all very, it's a, and it's a lot more honest and um, believable for that too. So, yep, I love it. Thanks for the record, Dan. Superstore, which is streaming in Australia on Binge, and I assume that means it's. Does that mean it's on Foxtel as well? We're uh, going to get. To I'm that pretty sure it's on sure. Foxtel as well, but I think you can also find it on Amazon Prime Video in Australia. How confusing. Well, you know, just in many places. You can just turn on the TV to whatever app you want and suddenly it's there. <laughs> That's fantastic. As long as whatever uh, so, app you want happens to be one of those two that I just mentioned. Yeah, not any of the ones that I yeah. had previously. So, yeah, well, you excellent can't, You can't load up Tidal and in between listening to a Jay-Z, you know, banger, <laughs> like suddenly flip on a Superstore. Like, you can't do that. But if you want to watch an Amazon Prime video or the, you know, binge, you can do that. This whole podcast has been worth it to hear you say JZ at this stage. That's fantastic. What have you been listening? Uh, what have you been watching this week? And you've been listening to JZ, but what have you been watching this week? Look, I've been listening to a lot of ZZ Top, but I have also been watching a fair bit of TV. And because there's the new streaming service binge, I started playing around in the margins a little bit with some of the older, like just sort of forgotten HBO shows. And I watched a bunch of them, but the one that I wanted to talk about this week is a show that I actually think is fairly good in that it's kind of a bit ordinary but it's still very watchable is this great little show called how to make it in america what are you 12 how long are you gonna keep saying fuck the man for until we are the man well i'm sorry to be the one to bring it to you but it's time you grow the fuck up cam like you did yeah one failure and it's a wrap now you're all grown up working at barney's ben i'm sorry i lied to you about that money i just wanted us to actually do something for once not just watch, as happens to all our friends. So, Chris, do you remember a TV show called Entourage? Uh, yes, Dan, I do, <laughs> amazingly. Now, Entourage was a highly watchable show for the first, like, half of the series run until it just kind of fell completely into its own navel and became unwatchable. I, I think they reached a point in that show where they decided that, you know, these lovable characters that we'd been watching for, you know, so many years, and by so many years it was like four or five, 
okay, that they were just so indelibly sort of part of our hearts and minds that we want us to watch the characters grow up and evolve and mature. But the thing is, wrong. No, we don't want to see any of that. <laughs> We don't no want to way. see them, like, find success in their personal lives. Like, we just want to see them leeching off the Hollywood star and doing the same sort of nonsense that they've been doing the past couple of seasons. That was the fun of the program. Entourage, I think this came just after Entourage had finished up, or maybe it was, like, right at the tail end of Entourage. But Mark Wahlberg, who was the... Um, not really quite a co-creator of Entourage, but definitely he inspired Entourage and was the executive producer of that show. He's the executive producer of this show, it's written by this guy named Ian, I think, Edelmond? Something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I probably should have looked that up. Ian Edelman. 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 Ian yeah. Edelman. Uh, created by this guy who, as far as I'm aware, hadn't really done much in terms of TV writing or show creation before this. But what you have is a show that kind of takes maybe the spirit of Entourage in that it's a watchable half-hour show with some people that are trying to make it in an industry. But it doesn't really have the tone or the overall uh, vibe of Entourage. Really, it's like a little bit... I, I wouldn't quite call it gritty because it's not quite that, but it feels a little bit more street, I guess, than what Entourage mm. had. Like, Entourage is very much about living in the Hollywood Hills, whereas... It's the glitz. It's about the glitz. Whereas this, it's a kind of a sort of shiny version of New York, particularly around Manhattan. And you've got two characters who are, are both interested in the fashion industry, uh, the two straight guys, which I think is probably important to establish when we're talking about the fashion industry like this. Because you kind of expect that oh, there might be like a straight guy and a gay guy, like that might be the dynamic. But they really are sort of two straight guys. It's almost uh, like, I don't want to call it grossly, but it's definitely a very uh, forcefully hetero show in a way that I hadn't quite yeah. expected. But you've got these two guys and their ambition is to try to make some money within the industry. Uh, I think the plan for the first season, as I recall has the idea that they're going to launch their line of denim jeans. And so the entire first season's about them trying to get the money together to be able to buy the denim and then, you know, actually get the jeans manufactured. Uh, one of the guys is a bit of a design, uh, like, guru. So, you know, as far as... It, it's kind of about people who have the ability to be able to sell and scam their way into an industry, but also to have the chops when they actually do manage to get their opportunity to shine. And the show is just about these two guys who are dating their way through New York, uh, people know who they are because they've both got some cred, but at the same time, they don't have any money and they can never really find the success that they're looking for. And much like an entourage, like just as you think they're about to achieve success, suddenly things get ripped away and they kind of have to start all over again. So it's very much the two steps forward, one step back kind of a deal with the show. Which was the same as uh, Silicon Valley, really, too. And one of the things that I really loved about that, then I think they paced it out well at the end. Uh, I'm just looking at the cast for this. It's a fantastic cast. Uh, it's got the rapper Kid Cudi in it, who I didn't realise was actually an actor at all, uh, which is fit, which is very interesting. Yeah, I don't remember him in the first season, so I reckon he maybe crops up in the second season. And I should say it's been, I think this was like 2011 the show came out initially. And I don't think yeah. I've seen it since maybe 2012. So it's been a while since I've watched it. But I watched the first two episodes in the last few days. And, you know, it still holds up being pretty entertaining. It was, yeah, the pilot was written by Edelman. I'm just reading the production notes on Wikipedia now. But yes, the, sir. Um, the Entourage crew, the yeah, the people that put together Entourage actually made this whole thing, like the whole team of them, Stephen Levinson and Rob Weiss and marky mark himself so yeah it's interesting and it does the little clip that i've seen of it it does definitely seem to have a, a bit of that flavor about it so how to make it america it got cancelled after the second season of the show it's got a really cool cast to it though uh so first of all i should probably point out the theme song to it it's that aloe black song i need a dollar and every time you hear Great that track. like this show just really just like pops as a result of it very cool opening credits it's got like some i think it's helvetica as the fonts so it's like big and bold and you really get the vibe when you're watching it that you're watching a show that's on a very sort of large palette, even though it's a very sort of small show about two very specific sort of uh, low-level characters who are just trying to make their way um, in the streets. Uh, but the lead of the show is this guy, Brian Greenberg, who you might have seen in a whole bunch of TV shows that always get cancelled after one season. He's a very <laughs> charismatic guy, but he just never locks into that sort of successful show. Uh, the co-star on it is this really interesting actor named Victor Rasek. I saw him years ago in this indie film called Raising Victor Vargas, I really dug that film, and since then, he just keeps on appearing. Like, he finds, like, me as a viewer on the couch, like, every couple of years, and he just comes back into my life. So, I noticed he did, like, a half season of ER, so I noticed that about a year or two ago when I was doing my ER rewatch. Uh, but right now, people will have seen him in... 
there's a show that's streaming here on Stan and I can't think of where it's from in the US. I want to say it's on the CW. Uh, it's a show called... I should, I should actually look this up before I start talking about these. The Baker and things. the Beauty? The Baker and the Beauty. And have you seen this at all, Chris? No. I have heard of it, though. Uh, so I think it might be based on his Helen Vella originally. But it's about a guy... So it's set in Miami... And it's about a guy who comes from a family, which is, uh, they're a baking family. Uh, so the parents are bakers, they run a bakery. Uh, I think it's a fairly well-known bakery, but you know, it's still a bakery nonetheless. Uh, so he's not necessarily particularly of means. And he ends up coming across a woman who is a, uh, very large sort of pop star actress, you know, big time celebrity. Anyway, he falls for her, she kind of falls for him. And so, you know, it's about the culture clash that exists between sort of two people of very sort of different financial status. I watched the first episode of it and it's definitely, it's not quite a rom-com, but it's definitely a uh, like romantic fantasy TV show. I found it really watchable and I haven't been able to admit that to anyone, Chris. I think it's because you were a romantic, Dan. Look, I mean, that might be it. I mean, I'm a softie at heart. You loved Four Weddings and a Funeral, if I recall correctly. You know what? I've never actually watched Four Weddings and a Funeral, <laughs> except the TV series, which I got halfway through. And I'm like, this show is great, even though it wasn't. And then like, I'd run out of episodes and I came back to it a few weeks later. And I'm like, this show is garbage. What was I doing? So, <laughs> you know, it's a complicated it world. It's because you were caught up in the romance. It happens. Yeah. The cloud your judgment it. sometimes. Yeah. Does it ever. Anyway, uh, Victor Rasek's in there. Um, Lake Bell who, you know, who doesn't love Lake Bell? Uh, you've got Eddie K. Thomas. Uh, you may remember him from a little independent film series called American Pie. Mmm. Very familiar. He, he played Finch. Uh, Luis Guzman's mm. in it. Sh- uh, Shannon Sossaman's in it. Like, it's got a good supporting cast. Um, speaking of ER, Eric LaSalle crops up in a second season of it. Uh, Joey Pants from The Sopranos crops up in season two as well. Uh, I noticed that Victor was actually in The Sopranos as well. Oh, was he? Crossover there. Yeah. I kind of had a very big role, but... No, I don't remember him in there at all, but, you know, maybe I just blinked and wasn't paying attention. If you were re-watching The Sopranos like I told you to, Dan, with me (laughs) on a weekly basis, as we plan to do, then this would not be a... This would not be a thing you'd have to worry about. We've got to get back onto that. Anyway, Chris, I do want to recommend, check out How to Make It in America... First of all, this is absolutely a show that I think you'd get into. Um, Secondly, I think it's just generally like a pretty easy watch. So it got cancelled after two seasons. It didn't really quite catch the world on fire. And when you watch it, you will totally understand why people weren't sort of super enthused about the program. Like it's very watchable. And I think when you sort of throw yourself into the show, you kind of fall for the characters, you kind of fall for the vibe of the show. But there's nothing really immediately exciting about the program. And I think that the... it's, it's the Brian Greenberg curse in that you'll watch the show and you'll see all these characters and they're all very highly appealing, but you don't really quite know what it is that you're really enjoying about the program and it's hard to really wrap your mind around what sort of enjoyment you're getting from it specifically. Like, it's, it's good TV wallpaper, I guess, is maybe the best recommendation, but also the worst recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. It <laughs> is I like it is. a bit of wallpaper in my TV. Yeah. No, but it's good. It's good wallpaper. Anyway, Chris, uh, you can find that. That's streaming at the moment on Binge or any other place that you can find HBO programs. So, for example, if you're in the US, maybe you want to watch it on HBO Now or HBO Max, as that will have launched by the time you're listening to this. Yeah, so let's talk about Binge. How have you been binging? What have you been binging? What have I been binging? So, to explain this, in Australia, we've got this streaming service that just launched called Binge. Uh, Binge is the attempt by a traditional cable company called Foxtel, and they've been trying to enter the digital space a number of times now with a couple of failed products. They really Have can't they seem really to... been trying. Uh, well, I mean, this is it. Like they've definitely launched products, whether they had their heart and soul in it or not. That's kind of maybe a debatable question. But they've certainly made some efforts, and the marketplace rejected them at every turn. Uh, but with this, I think they've actually come up with a bit of a winner. And I think that credits always, you know, give credits where credits due. They've got a product that I think fills a massive gap that exists in the Australian market. So in Australia, we've got Netflix, which if you flip on Netflix, you find all the Netflix originals in there and then like the occasional other thing that they've purchased around the place. 
but the majority of the time when you sit down to watch something on Netflix, like there's really a sense of discovery involved. Like every time you press play, yeah. you don't quite know exactly what you're going to get because it's a show that maybe a friend of yours at work had recommended that you watch at some point. Maybe you've got a friend who just won't shut up about a specific show. But the majority of things that you're watching, you are taking a bit of a gamble on because there's just no cultural conversation happening around a lot of the stuff. Every so often something pops. Uh, so you might get like a Tiger King or something like that where everyone's talking about it. But most of the time, you're really just like discovering things as you go through it. There's no pre-existing awareness. Uh, then you've got services like Stan, which do have some shows that have a bit more of a uh, pre-awareness around it in some movies. But by and large, they tend to be buying a lot of shows that are quite a bit cheaper. So while they're definitely a bit more mainstream in that they exist sort of outside of the one platform that you're watching it on, that generally still shows you're taking a bit of a punt on because you haven't really heard of the show before. So maybe the best acquisition I think they ever made was a great Comedy Central show called Detroiters, which you'd have watched Detroiters, wouldn't you, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just like wildly funny. I'm very much into that program. But like I'd say most people watching it had never heard of Detroiters before. Uh, so effectively, you've got Stan, which is sort of lower tier stuff with like a bit of like popular mainstream stuff. But they've got shows like Friends on there. So it's not like it's all just sort of lower tier um, unknown content. But broadly, I think people are still discovering their way through Stan content. What's fascinating about Binge is that pretty much all of it, because it all comes from like the HBO library and more broadly Warner Media, uh, they've got a whole bunch of shows from NBC. They're all shows that people have heard of before. Like there's just pre-existing awareness. And so when you go through the catalog, it's like, oh, it's that show, it's that show, it's that show. You kind of know what all of it is. And like, we haven't really had that in Australia before. And to me, it was kind of exciting to see that locally. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about it? What were your initial thoughts when you loaded the app for the first time? Yeah, well, definitely uh, the main thing that I noticed straight away was, yes, there's all these shows that I haven't that I haven't seen. Like, I know I was straight away, I started sending new stuff going like, oh my God, this is, it's, you know, it's like, it's kind of a no-brainer really because there is all this stuff that's um, very, you know, all, this, all the shows that I have loved and many that I will watch over and over again and many that I already have. And that's a pretty different thing for me. Like, I know because you're the uh, enthusiast that you are, uh, who spends a lot of their time watching television that you have, you know, you've probably already been in a position where you've had access to stuff like, um, you know, to all these HBO shows at the click of a button, really, uh, which I just definitely, I haven't had, you know, especially as a non-Foxtel subscriber, I, I haven't seen a lot of this stuff. And if I have, you know, it's been DVDs or it's been whatever. So to actually just have them at a, you know, on a streaming service like this in a familiar way that I'm used to, consuming now with the netflix and the um and stan etc is it was it's quite road it's quite mind-blowing really like i'm still looking at stuff the, the things that really you know that i was really surprised to see i guess was some of those um the big lifestyle shows which i embarrassingly uh worship like such as you know there's 17 seasons of grand designs on here. every <laughs> yeah. single episode of grand designs is on here like that is just uh, that's a boon for somebody of my um, taste and stuff. But then, you know, just all the shows that you've banged on at me about for years that I've never bothered watching, like Mr. Robot and Battlestar Galactica and heaps of these things that I'd love to catch up on. Of course, having Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm all in one place is uh, a good, you know, 50 to 100 hours of my life there. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's overwhelming almost the amount of... Uh, stuff on there that I've either heard of or you know or you know want to watch again basically well we'll watch again the aforementioned Sopranos you know all the HBO shows it's 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 quite incredible yeah so I actually started a rewatch a few days ago the old school Battlestar Galactica from 1978 oh man is that on there as well yeah cow. now the things to keep in mind as well and I don't know how it plays on binge but I think it's this way on the Amazon Prime video app which also has the uh, reboot of Battlestar Galactica from the early 2000s there's a mini series that kicks it off but it's not technically episodes one or two of the show so you need to find the mini series independently of the series Oof. if you're going to start watching the and like it's not just... clear like you kind of have to know to look for it yeah that's already um, you've made that too hard for me I'm just going to keep reading stuff as I see it. Hello, ladies there. The Stephen Merchant. Um, the hilarious Stephen Merchant show. I know. That's another one I haven't watched that you've banged on at me. 
Uh, and I haven't even really, I mean, and that's not even getting into the movies. Obviously, there's a, an incredible wealth of movies from the um, from the Warner Brothers catalogue there. Uh, I don't know how you could, like, I've already seen people complaining about the kind of content, which is not surprising because people complain about anything. But you've really got to be, you've really got to be trying to, or, or not trying to not find something that you're going to want to watch. No, that's exactly it. Um, so during the week, because when there's a new streaming service, I usually sort of throw myself completely into it. So Take a week off work. <laughs> I mean, it's not quite to that level, but, you know, certainly a lot Buy of my free pies. time. Yeah. Well, a lot of my free time gets dedicated to the streaming service. So I usually go through it, see what works about it, what doesn't work about it. Of but course. this week, so if you subscribe to the Always Be Watching newsletter, which I strongly recommend people check it out at alwaysbewatching.com, I put out a fairly lengthy sort of user guide to it. So explaining what platforms you can get binge on, the price of it. Because pricing wise, it's pretty much exactly the same as both Netflix and Stan in Australia. Give or take a dollar or two sort of here and there, yeah, depending yeah, which service. It's it's not- um, the only problem, well, the only sort of thing where binge is let down from a tech standpoint is they don't have 4K, which doesn't bother me too much because I don't have a 4K television because my TV just keeps on hanging in there, which is very disappointing to me. However, like people have been able to buy 4K TVs quite affordably now for about five or six years. So the fact that they don't have 4K supported, I think is a bit of an oversight because every other platform does support it. Yeah, look, there's other... I mean, I know that this thing's obviously been rushed to try and get it to us while everybody was stuck at home. But, um, you know, the the app didn't work for me on the um, on the newest version of Android, which I thought was on very strange. And I went on my phone, yeah. So I went on to the, you know, I went on to the support and there was just to see if it wasn't just some crazy glitch with my thing. And it seems like there was a, an awful lot of people having the same issue. Uh, like, it didn't work at all. Like, it would load and just crash out to a black screen um it also didn't it doesn't auto well when i play it off my off chrome on my macbook it doesn't auto play the next episode i don't know if that's meant to happen uh i don't know why it wouldn't on a series called binge but you have to go (laughs) it's sort of the, the app actually shuts down on there i think there's a fair bit to go with that with the sort of tech build of it but that's kind of considering the like you say considering how they sort of rushed it out it's not that surprising the actual interface is basically the same as netflix although it does seem like there's a lot more on the front it it does seem like you don't have to dig as deep to find stuff the most frustrating thing about netflix of course for me at least is that you know i'm kind of uh it, it the algorithm kind of wants to feed you stuff it, it tries to learn you too well and then it just feeds you the same stuff over and over again. So digging below that kind of top layer of what comes up in your little side scrolls is Well, that's it, because there's, philosoph- there's a different philosophy at play here. So while Netflix is very... So the business model of Netflix, essentially, if you are scrolling through Netflix for more than about a minute or two, at Netflix, they feel that they've failed. So what Netflix are trying to do is, with their algorithm... The intention is to be able to give you a show that immediately you'll be interested in so that when you load up Netflix within like a few seconds, you'll find that thing that you want to watch and off you go. So the more that you're scrolling through Netflix, the more of a failure Netflix is in terms of the overall sort of business strategy with it. With Binge, they're looking at it more as being an actual sort of curated experience. So they're not just going to be pushing you things immediately that you that you think you're going to love, but really you kind of need to spend a moment or two to go through the catalog to sort of see what it is that you want to watch. And it's interesting because the promotion and the conversation happening around Binge is that they want to get rid of the scroll. But to me, the actual system itself seems really designed around the idea of you investing some time in to get the best out of it for you, which I don't really have a problem with. No, not at all. And I wish that the option was there to kind of do that a little bit more in Netflix. Like, I feel like while they might say that, I feel like the actual reality is that I'll spend a couple of minutes scrolling around on Netflix. And then if I don't find anything on that front page, then I'm likely to actually go looking somewhere else for something to watch, you know? So whether I'm a typical viewer, whether I'm a typical user in that kind of way, I'm not sure. Uh, Dan, I've just spotted... um, the th- they've got the full three seasons of the New Zealand series of Grand Designs, which I've got to say <laughs> is maybe even better than the UK one, cause only because the host Chris Moller is so dreamy. I, I don't. Um, the Australian one was really kind of disappointing compared to that. Anyway, sorry, just to go off, I just got sidetracked by. So something that you might want to go looking, man. something you might want to go looking for, and this is definitely of interest to the always be watching community that surrounds this podcast. 
Back in the mid 90s, do you remember there was an incident where David Letterman was looked over for the uh, Tonight Show and instead Jay Leno took it over in, was it like 92, 93? Uh, 92. How How could I forget one of the defining moments of my young adulthood? Exactly. Uh, now, there's a uh, media writer in the US named Bill Carter. He wrote a book about this called The Late Shift, and HBO turned it into a TV movie. It is a very entertaining movie if you're interested in this kind of thing. If you want to watch two people doing bad Leno and Letterman impersonations for two hours, uh, it's obviously very much what you want to check out. It is sitting there on binge. It's the first time I've really seen it made available in Australia outside of DVD. But anyway, it's called The wow. Late Shift. Yeah, I see it. I see it there. It wasn't it directed by Tamara Davis or someone. I've got that wrong, haven't I? But you, it had you have. It is directed yeah. by oh gosh, what's her name? Um, Betty, uh, Thomas. Betty Thomas, who had previously been an actor on Hill Street Blues. But I think this is her but, directorial debut. She made some other good movies. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what else has she done? She's. I feel that Sorry. she was involved with the uh, Brady Bunch movies. I think she directed the first two of those. Yes. She directed the really good, the very funny Brady Bunch movie, which I think is the second one, right? Maybe she did both of them. I thought she did both of them. She's awesome anyway. But uh, yeah, I remember really, I mean, I haven't watched that movie in 20 years, like you say. I, I just had to double check to see if they gave the J guy a prosthetic chin. And it's not completely, I couldn't tell you really without... Um, so you haven't seen The Late Shift before? Oh yeah, I have. Oh, you have? Like, but yeah. you know, when it came out, I reckon. Um, probably not since then. But I, I just couldn't remember whether they gave the Jay Leno a prosthetic chin. Yeah, I actually um, rewatched it maybe about like two months ago. Actually, not even that long. It was like less than a month ago. Uh, it still it holds good. up remarkably well. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. I remember it being really funny. And the guy that does Letterman is very funny too. I remember Letterman, he hated it, didn't he, at the time? I'm pretty sure they all hated it. And yeah. Were mad about it getting made. Look, I don't think anyone was particularly happy about it. Yeah, I think Letterman was like kind just- of, Letterman was grudgingly okay about it only because he came off really well in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He didn't actually look that bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm even enjoying the sort of suggestions when you go in. I guess probably it's a lot down to it not knowing too much about me yet either. But, you know, when you when you click on a show and you get the kind of other, you might like these shows sort of thing. There's very interesting suggestions coming up. Uh, I really like the way they're doing that with it. I'm obviously flicking around while I'm talking to you. Yeah. So, Chris, I guess the yeah. question for yeah, you. Thank you so much. Um, so mm-hmm. f- for me, I tend to subscribe to a lot of overseas services as well. And a lot of the stuff that's sitting there on binge is kind of replicating stuff that I'm getting dodgily from subscribing elsewhere. So I'm not sure if I'll actually continue with binge. It's something that I think I'll probably check in with every so often just to see where the platforms are for nerdy sort of media related reasons. But I don't think I'm probably going to be subscribing to it purely for my entertainment needs. But Chris, you were saying that you've never seen anything like this in Australia before. Is it something you think you'll stick with? But look, I, I, I try to be a uh, I try to be an ethical consumer uh, on some in some regards and as best as I can. And for that reason, I, I just can't I can't give myself the um, free pass to throw money at Rupert Murdoch. And, and and just for that for that reason alone, like I, you know, I obviously don't do it in every aspect of my life, and I try where I can. And I feel like uh, just my own personal grudge with with uh, well not personal grudge but the, the, <laughs> the very good reasons i have to not give rupert murdoch more money are enough to keep me away from this which is a real shame especially considering that the small part that he's actually playing in this whole process not like the other corporations that are involved in producing this content or uh uh, 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 uh without uh, 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 uh without horrendous practices themselves i'm sure but it just seems like you know I'm, I'm, i feel like sitting here in australia and watching them and being a part of the media and uh contributing to him being able to take that part there is is a sh- is i don't feel like i can contribute more to that having said that if i was just good to do it on the you know if, if it was just about the actual service and the quality of the service then everything i could sort of see i mean there's definitely there's a year's worth of there's a year's worth of stuff i could watch on here without getting bored without anything new getting added so you know it's a pretty um it's a pretty big there, there's a lot of incentive there to do it and i'm kind of kicking myself that i that i won't you know be able to enjoy this because of the ridiculous um and somewhat hypocritical uh, consumer choices i make i don't think i'm in the majority in that regard at all and i i can't see it doing badly can you really like i mean look i honestly think they've launched what i see as a top two product in the australian streaming market like it's netflix and it's binge 
yeah, I think that's very clearly and very soon yeah. going to be the way. But I, be just, just sorry, I just want to talk about the ethics of it just uh, very briefly. The, divide, yeah, sure. the dividing line that I've sort of been thinking about. So, I mean, essentially, I don't think anyone's really happy about the Rupert Murdoch of it all. Uh, but when I've thought about my own media consumption, I cancelled my subscription, my digital subscription to The Australian about a year and a half ago. And it was purely because I didn't really want to keep on contributing to what I thought was a negative sort of news influence in Australia. Yes, The Australian yeah. at times has done some very good stuff, but by and large, I don't think it's necessarily been a positive for the Australian news landscape in Australia. And the same can be said for some of the state-based mastheads as well. Um, so I generally don't subscribe to those. And I'm very sort of wary about subscribing to anything with Sky News as a presence in Australia. But where I see the dividing line on Binge is that they have stripped away a lot of, well, basically they stripped away Sky News. That doesn't exist on the platform. And so I think I'm comfortable giving money to the company, which isn't offering the negative services that they seem to add onto all of their platforms. So the fact that they don't have Sky News here, I think is maybe a reason to support this platform over the other platforms. <laughs> Look, I hear, I know what you're saying there. And I'm not, I'm not saying that my sort of view on it is the correct way to look at it, because I certainly appreciate no, where no. you're coming from. Like, I don't disagree with it at all. But when I'm thinking about where I think my ethical line sits, I think it's probably there. Well, it's interesting, you know, because we've also got, you know, the other... It, it's interesting that we've come to this point where uh, these entertainment services are being controlled by these monoliths, like, you know, the other... The other corporation I try my best to avoid, other than the inadvertent... Um, ways that it happens with service space and stuff is amazon you know and of course amazon is a is a amazon prime is a very good service which i would have you know really enjoyed to watch a lot of the content on there as well but just really trying to avoid um using amazon for any purchases and anything like that and steering clear of uh audible and stuff which is a real again a real shame because these are products that i would really like to use and i would get a lot of value out of but i just can't stomach the practices of the way that those companies have become um, the dominant, you know, caring that uh, the, the the kind of have such market dominance. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, and it's a weird one. And I don't think it'll be a big ethical consideration for a lot of people, but um, it but it could be for some. Yeah. Anyway, Chris, on that note, you're not going to stick with it, but in your heart, you kind of like to, even though your heart says no. Well, yeah, like not my, yeah, not in my heart. I'd like to in my in the part of my brain that likes lying on the couch and not having to make any effort whatsoever to watch television programs that I've seen and loved and know that I'm going to enjoy without challenging me one one bit whatsoever. Oh, that looks like a good one too. Some other makeover flipping show. There's a, there's a little bit of flipping stuff, not heat. Um, but there, yeah, there so, is the you know, there is the very good Amy Poehler, Nick Offerman's comedy uh, reality sort of crafting show well. called Making It. That's pretty good. There's so much incredible content on here. Oh my god, I'm just going to have a look and see if. Oh no, there's this the Psycho collection. I was I was just looking to see what was in there. I was hoping it had the TV movie Psycho Four, which is a bit of an underrated <laughs> classic. Yeah, sorry, Dan. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I was just going to say. Speaking yeah. of underrated classics, one of the highest sort of underrated classics that exists in the current media landscape is the weekly quiz that we do on the show. <laughs> All right, Dan. Have we got some theme music for this quiz yet? Or uh, not we... yet. But look, we've got essentially this week and next week, and then we wind down this quiz, and then we're bringing back the quiz in a much bigger way. And then we just are all quiz. All, Pretty all much. All time, all quiz. 24-hour quiz network. I'm there for it. Damn. We're streaming from that point. Okay, Chris. Okay. Uh, for people unfamiliar with the podcast, basically for the last, uh, we're going to say four to six weeks on the show, uh, each of us have been giving the other one a 10-question quiz. The idea is that by the end of it, each of us will have answered 50 questions, 100 altogether between the two of us, and one of us will have answered more questions than the other one, and we will be crowned the winner. And the other one will be crowned as a lame <laughs> Now, I believe, Chris, um, I, you, you are actually quite a fair bit ahead of me at this point. Well, look, this is a good, this is a good chance for you to catch up, I think, because I'm pretty sure I'm handing you this one on a, on a silver platter. Is the category you've chosen this week shows that Dan is really into, that he will totally know the answers to? <laughs> No, but I think we're 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 in that we're in that field. I think I've I've chucked a couple of curveballs in there for you. Is this going to be all about the Gilmore Girls? No, ah. I, I wish. Um, but we can we'll we'll save that one up. But okay, are you ready for it? This week's category, Dan, is the life and career 
of Norm Macdonald. <laughs> That's right. I've got a soundboard right. now. Have you got the um, Have you got the sound effects for correct and incorrect ready to go there? Because um, I wish I had those buttons. All right, here we go. In the Norm Show, Norm's sitcom, his final finally got a sitcom of his own. Was destined to be massive. Wasn't that massive? But still, of course, we loved it. What was the um, in in the Norm Show? What was Norm's surname? Oh God. Um... I knew this. I didn't have to look this up. Is this the point where I actually admit I've only seen maybe two to three episodes of the Norm show in total? Oh my God, dude. Uh, Never admit that. Jones? Where's the... Have you got one of those kind of sounds? (laughs) Norm Henderson. Norm Henderson. his name in the Norm show. I should have gotten Um, that. Okay, here we go. We're going to keep moving along. Um, in the 1998 cinematic masterpiece Dirty Work Yes sir What life event prompts Norm to start a revenge for higher business? <laughs> oh no um, I think you've really overestimated my Norm knowledge here <laughs> Oh shit Look I mean I remember in Dirty Okay here's the two things I remember about Dirty Work Number what one What happens in all of these movies? What do they, ha- what's, what's the, what do they have to do? Look th- let me tell you the two things I know about Dirty Work Number one, he's got a tape recorder and he does a lot of note to self business throughout the film. And the second thing I know is that during the promotional tour for it, I remember listening to an interview that had Norm MacDonald and co-star Artie Lang appearing on Mm -hmm. it. And they spent most of the interview talking about Blomkins. And if you don't know what that is, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you because this is a family podcast. Outside of that, I'm struggling to know, I think that much more about it. Uh, How did he lose... He lost his job I'll at the beginning. I'll tell you the question again. What life event prompts Norm to start a revenge for higher business? Um, uh, he probably finds his the- girlfriend's been cheating on him. <laughs> well, that's very good, but no. Um, he has to raise a bribe uh, to... He has to raise $50,000 to bribe his dad's Dr. Chevy Chase, who will move <laughs> him up in the um, heart operation uh, queue because he has terrible gambling problems. Yeesh. This is not going as well as... Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, Norm MacDonald was a writer for... It uh, started in, early in his career. Norm MacDonald was a writer on Roseanne. Correct. From 1992 to 1993. Did he ever appear on the program? Ooh. I feel that he did. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to confidently say yes, he appeared. <laughs> <laughs> The soundboard's really getting work out. You might be thinking of his mate, um, George Clooney, who did do... Ah, Clooney. On on Roseanne there. Uh, That was his gateway to stardom, I'm pretty sure. So you're saying that Norm MacDonald didn't play Booker on Roseanne? (laughs) I see you know the name of... Yeah, that's that's excellent. Okay. Um, In which series of films did Norm play a dog called Lucky? Uh, I'm going to say that's the Dr. Doolittle series of films. I uh, didn't know there was more than one until I started researching, but there was apparently three, and one of them is, I think, all about Lucky. So I'm going to have to check that one out. Why do you hate cinema? I presume the one about Lucky is probably the third <laughs> one where Eddie Murphy didn't come back for it. It's I, I, Again, it's something I've got to rewatch, but I remember being very surprised at how funny um, the first Dr. Doolittle was, but that might have just been my normal obsession. Uh, which I thought you shared with me, but clearly we're, <laughs> this is a, uh, okay. You'll get, you'll get this one. Look, I really like um, Norm and I'll spend a lot of time talking about Adam Eager, his sidekick. Yes. Yes. However, I can't say that I'm necessarily, I, I've, I've listened to his audio book, the bio, his autobiography. Well, that sounds awesome. I'd love to listen to it's that. It's very um, good. Which famous real life comedian does Norm Macdonald stand in for in Milos Forman's Man on the Moon because the real actor involved in the incident depicted in the film refused? Okay, so he was on the set of Taxi. Mm, Have I got that right? No. I remember seeing him. Oh, no, he's on like a Letterman set. Is that right? It's close. Gosh, what's it's he doing? Letterman. It's a. I'm going to give you some more clues. It's a sketch show. Oh, uh, Fridays. And yes, and who is the 
Oh, look, I'm just going to assume that it was Michael Richards. You got it. You got it. 100%. Oh, what? I got it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's an amazing scene where in the sketch, um, uh, they are pretending to be at a dinner party where they're all smoking marijuana. And this was very early in the class. That's marijuana right. gets on TV. And um, Andy Kaufman live on television just sort of melts down and breaks character and says he doesn't want to do it and tells, <laughs> tells him it's all terrible humor and it's a very bad joke. And Michael Richards stands up and throws a glass of water. So and, if people um, if people don't know Friday, he's a couple of years after Saturday Night Live launched in the US. So this is, I'm going to say, very late 70s, maybe even like in 1980. Uh, there was a yeah. uh, show which was on Friday nights that had the exact same format called Fridays. Uh, the show <laughs> starred uh, Michael Richards was in it, but also Larry David is one of the sketch performers as well. And this, oh, was he actually in it? I yeah. thought he was just a writer for No, no, he's yeah, absolutely right. on it. Like he's one of the featured players. And you can find episodes of Friday streaming at the moment on Tubi, which is a free streaming service that you've probably never heard of before, but it certainly exists. And that's T-U-B-I. I saw somebody um, criticizing the binge saying, I wish it had as much good stuff as Tubi. I think that was in our thread, actually. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. What you think, which I think was an excellent comment because Tubi is hilarious. There's some great stuff on Tubi. It is, there's some very weird stuff on Tubi. Anyway. Yeah, like, watch a, like a short collection of Fridays. Amazing. Um, okay, so I think you're up to... I think I've got two points. You got three, I think you've got three points now. No, two points, you're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a couple more they, they, they're bordering on multiple choice here so you've got a bit more of a chance um, and you know, there's probably very unlikely you're going to get this one when <laughs> Norm was born in which Canadian city? Ottawa no Quebec City but anyway <laughs> that was a terrible question anyway <laughs> um, when Chevy Chase was filming Dirty Work with Norm Macdonald Norm played a practical joke on the uh, actor that involved Norm biting the surly comedian on which body part? Oh, I mean, obviously I want to say buttocks, but I'm just going to say it's his left arm. It was his penis. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I just had to get a dick joke in there. It's documented. Look it up. There's, there's video evidence of it. It's a great time. Um, the reason I saw that on the uh, revisited on the Norm... Um, show that was on Netflix recently where he got Chevy Chase on who Norman Chevy have obviously had a very long and beautiful relationship. <laughs> yeah. Chevy hated every minute about being on there and it's one of the greatest half hours of television I've seen in the last few years. Okay. Norm told the world's best ever joke, the moth joke, famously, to which late night TV host? The moth joke? Do you know the moth joke? I'm not sure that I do, but I'm going to... Because pres- I've heard him tell a lot of great jokes on late night... Uh, talk shows. I'm going to presume this was on Letterman. I'm sorry, Dan. It was on Conan O'Brien. Oh, God. He's told... I, I don't know what this moth joke is, but I've heard him tell so many great jokes on uh, Conan. There was the one Look, about and- the... There was the one... And apologies for using the word that I'm going to use here, but this is the phrasing that he used. The midgets in Las Vegas that he could hear in a hotel room next to him. Like, that to me is probably the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. The, the chairman of the board, I- B-O-R-E-D. Somebody showed it to me recently, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but just go watch it. But there's when I was researching it to find out which show it was on to write the question. There's like people have animated this. It's been like there's reaction videos of people <laughs> watching this joke. Like it is. Norm's done some good jokes, but this is a great joke. Okay, okay, I'll check that out. This one's in here mostly just for trivia, but you might know the answer for this. Um, why was Norm fired from Saturday Night Live? Uh, it's because he kept on making jokes about O.J. Simpson and the man who was in charge of Late Night at the time, who I want to say was um, Olmeyer. He was friends with O.J. Simpson and was looking for an excuse to get rid of him. Look, Dan, I'm going to give you two points for that because the sec- the follow-up was going to be name the NBC executive, <laughs> which I thought there was no chance you would get. But no, you've nailed it. Um, and that's exactly right. Uh, I, can't think of his, to, I can't think of his first name at the moment. I want to say it was Ben, but it's not Ben Olmeyer. It's Don. Don. Don I knew it was a short one. And um, he then, uh, Norm kind of holds him responsible because uh, basically he also prevented Norm's film Dirty Work from being advertised on the NBC network. They wouldn't run <laughs> trailers for the movie because he was so bitter about 
nor making jokes about his murderer friend. That is incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, so and that's one of the many reasons that Norm blames for the failure of dirty work, despite the fact that maybe there's other re- there was other universal forces in play stopping the dirty work. Okay, we got two. We got one more question for you here. I was hoping to have the Which, question: Who was the director of Dirty Work? Because I can definitely nail that one. It was Bob Saget? <laughs> was Bob Saget exactly? Um, sorry, no, no easy, no free kicks. Which of the following shows did Norm not perform a small role? The Drew Carey Show, mm-hmm. News Radio, Just Shoot Me, or Family Guy? Okay, I'm I'm fairly certain that he's in News Radio. I'm remarkably confident he was in Drew Carey Show, but Family Guy, like that seems possible. Uh, what was number three? It was Just Shoot Me. I'm going to say Just Shoot Me. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you know who we start, who, who started alongside of in Family Guy? None other than Seth Green. We got him in there. <laughs> yes. Right at the last minute. Raise the applause. Come on. There we go. All right, Dan, that's a solid, uh, let's call it five out of ten. Okay, I mean, that's definitely more than I expected. <laughs> that's not bad. You've you've come up with the world. Um, I, yeah, so how many more quizzes have we got? Have I got one more round, have I? Well, there's one more, so I'm going to give you next week's... Excellent. No, that All can't right. be right, because I would have given the first lot. So maybe we're finished. <laughs> <laughs> how anticlimactic was that? Wasn't the, didn't I only do five? There was like, we, did we have to do a catch-up of some at some point? Oh, that's right. You, you had to, to do two weeks in a row. So maybe I have to write you five or something like that. I so don't know. maybe we, no, no. Like I think you did two in a row. So maybe it's just reached the point now uh-huh. where either we've both got to do a week each or we've finished. Well, I'll leave that up to you. The listeners are on the edge of their seat, waiting to find out who's going to be the um, the the grand champion there. Uh, what is my prize going to be, Dan? Uh, is there a prize? Probably just a hug. Oh, I miss hugs. I haven't <laughs> had a hug for a long time. I'll take that hug. Yeesh. I know you were joking, but I want that hug. I'll catch I, the train. I didn't say it was going to be from me. I... Anyway, before we get out of here, I have some filings from the corrections department that I need to give for the last couple of oh, weeks of excellent. podcasts. Uh, first of all, there was a issue with... Uh, actually, it relates to one of the quizzes. Uh, there was a quiz about TV deaths. Yeah. Uh, which I believe you gave me the TV deaths quiz. Uh, right. At the very beginning of the segment, I said that I would tell you about TV's greatest death, and I never did. Oh. And I was pulled up on that. Excellent. Okay, so thanks, Peter Wickens. Uh, okay, so I'm going to tell you about the greatest death ever depicted on television. Have you ever seen the show L.A. Law? Yes, I remember L.A. Law. Corb- Corbin Burnson. Exactly. There was a lawyer on it, played... Oh, uh, yeah, she was a lawyer. She was, the, I think, the head of the firm, played by... The actress's name was Diana Mulder. I think that's right, the actress's name. Uh, she played a character named Rosalind Pike. I want to say off the top of my head. Anyway, she was a character who was kind of like the sort of antagonist, like none of the lawyers liked her. She was just a very difficult character to like. And Diana Mulder has played that character on a whole bunch of different TV shows. She's very unlikable, even though she hasn't really done anything that really deserves people's ire. <laughs> There's just something about her. She just like just exudes sure. unlikability. Okay, even though like I kind of like her. Like I think she's good. But she was in LA Law for a while. And they killed off the character. And she's got the greatest death sequence, which is she's walking along through the hallways talking to the other like older lawyer on the show whose name is not coming to mind right now. Anyway, the two of them have had like a romantic dalliance in the past and he's telling her about how he can't marry her. And it's like a sort of, you know, moment that's really just crushed her. Anyway, she's just heartbroken by it, but you know, she's keeping a cool exterior. She opens the elevator to leave. Anyway, she steps back into the elevator, but the elevator hasn't arrived. It's just the shaft is empty. So she falls to her death. It is hilarious. It is one of the funniest, greatest moments in television ever. And if you ever type in just into YouTube, LA law death or elevator death. Okay. You will see it like easily. It'll just come up for you. Excellent. It's about a minute of your life. It's fantastic. It was a bit quirky, wasn't it? LA law had a few quirky moments in it. Yeah. 
Um, and the other moment from the corrections department that I need to sort of flag is last week on the show, we were talking about the TV sitcom Taxi, which comes up quite regularly in our podcast, <laughs> no, apparently. today. All oh, right. We did it last that week. That was last cool. week. Uh, there was a reference to the Judd Hirsch character, and I couldn't think of his first name. And you dropped in just very casually saying that it was John. Anyway, I was listening to Backs of the Podcast, and I'd like to file a complaint with that episode, in that the character's <laughs> name was not in fact John. I think you are getting confused with the TV with series Dear that Judd John. Hirsch appeared in after Taxi, yes. called Dear, Dear John. John. Instead, in Taxi, I believe that his name was Alex. <laughs> Alex, you're right, it was yeah. too. I stand... And brutally corrected. For feel free to a- for accuracy. I feel that we really needed to expose <laughs> that issue on the podcast so we can move on. Excellent. Feel free to deduct some points from my quiz. I think I've got a few up my sleeve. No, no, you've earned it. It's all fine. Okay. <laughs> also, I think this represents, and we'll have to check with the always be watching historians on this one. But I think this episode represents the very first time we've referenced Dear John on the podcast. Maybe on any podcast ever. <laughs> You think nobody's ever mentioned Dear John on the podcast? I'm just going to check and see if Dear John's on binge. Uh, I believe that it's not. Because let me tell you, if if it was on there, I would have found it. (laughs) Thanks for having me on the podcast this week, Dan. No, no. Thank you for inviting me to also be on the podcast. Uh, We'll be back next week with more podcast, uh, possibly a quiz. And at that point, it'll either be the conclusion of the quiz or it will be our brand new format, which is all quiz. All quiz, all the time. Indeed. Anyway, this has been Always Be Watching. We'll be back next week with more quiz. More quiz.